Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word Well, join with me in the book of Jude uh, as we continue to look through this little book with a mighty message and a great warning uh, for the church and and not just the early church where Jude would have ministered. And remind you that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, but instead of identifying himself as such, he just simply says, I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. He had a very humble spirit, but he had a powerful message in what he wanted to relate to us today. And the whole synopsis of Jude was that in verse number 3, and that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. There is no other time like now that we would be willing to stand and contend for the faith. And I think about some of the, uh, the laws that were passed this week uh, in our nation and some of the things that are going to come down as a result of that. And there's a chance that uh, tax-exempt uh, status could be uh, threatened for churches and for organizations just because we simply say, we believe the Bible, and the Bible says a marriage is between one man and one woman. And, and let me tell you, uh, this is a time where we must will and say, listen, we're going to contend for the faith that's found in the Word of God. Uh, and it doesn't matter what uh, will come to us, and there may be a time where you're bailing me out of jail, but hey, we're going to continue to preach the gospel. We're going to continue to share what the God of words, God, God of, yeah, the Bible says. Good. All right, good. So anyway, so we're going to look tonight at Jude chapter number uh, 1. There's only one chapter, verses 8 through 13 in our scripture. And as we do so, I just remind you, we have been looking at the apostates that have come into the church. And as they've come into the church, I just want to, uh, just, we're coming to the place where Jude is really trying to paint a picture. Because when the apostate come into the church, a lot of times they come, uh, as he says, they come in unawares. In other words, they came in in disguise, if you will. In other places in the Bible, it says they come in as uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And so uh, they look like sheep on the outside, but really they're just ravening wolves looking to see whom they can devour. And so we recognize then uh, that Jude says, I want to paint a picture of what these guys look like. And so tonight I want to share with you the way of the apostate. Uh, And so let's look together in Jude. Uh, verses 8 through 13. We'll read these verses uh, here tonight. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, with, uh, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know uh, naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and uh, perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, 
feeding them without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, and without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let's stop and pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this text of Scripture, for Jude's uh, very uh, poignant and timely warning for us today. And so we recognize tonight that, Lord, we need you uh, to open our heart and our mind. Help us, Lord, to glean. And, Lord, I know we come with a plethora of problems, but, God, I just thank you that you're the burden bearer. You're the one that can help us through every situation. And so please help our church family. And, Lord, protect, Lord, from uh, Satan's attacks, Lord. And I pray, Father, especially uh, that uh, as we see the day approach, that we would be able to stand fast in the faith, to con- earnestly contend for this faith that you've given us. Lord, that we might be able to see uh, and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, uh, when we reach you. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Since September 11th, I would say that terrorism has taken center stage in a lot of people's minds. And matter of fact, before September 11th, we probably, maybe we could identify one, maybe two different terrorist attacks that we could, uh, we could say this happened at some point. Maybe in my mind it goes back to 1999 terrorist attack uh, on the World Trade Center. Uh, you know, and those are some of the very few things. But since then, we recognize acts of terror happen a lot. And terrorism, though, has existed in a lot of forms for a lot of time. And political terrorism, like political assassinations, high-profile kidnappings, uh, guerrilla warfare, listen, history is full of these types of things. If you want to go back in history, you can study it and find these things. In, con- in contrast to conventional warfare, Terrorism presents a a little bit more of a serious and unique threat for a couple of reasons. First off, because terrorists operate clandestinely. In other words, they don't dress up in uniforms. They don't come out and say, we're from from, uh, the terrorist organization, Hezbollah, and we're here to blow you up. Uh, Instead, they look and act like everybody else around them. The second thing that we we recognize is that because there's so few of them, uh, uh, they uh, oftentimes, they keep their plans in secret until after they strike. But the second thing is that they're willing to die for the cause. So not only are they uh, secretive, but they're also willing to die for whatever it is they believe. And oftentimes they are planning to, uh, to commit suicide in the act of the, of the terrorist act. And so they're eager oftentimes then to sacrifice themselves for the sake of their mission, for what they believe is a good cause. And so the prospect of even uh, this most severe punishment being applied to them doesn't really bother them, uh, and it doesn't deter them. And if, so if they're thwarted and, and maybe they're, uh, they're uh, killed uh, or whatever, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother them because of the fact that they were planning on dying anyway for the cause. Listen, the same features that make that kind of terrorism dangerous in the world also makes apostate teachers also are dangerous. One, first off, because they are oftentimes secretive. Uh, they, they don't come out and say, listen, uh, I am, uh, I'm John and I'm here to give you false information, and so listen closely, I want to indoctrinate you regarding some for, sort of false teaching. It doesn't come out like that. In matter of fact, sometimes it even sounds good because there's a little bit of mixture of truth mixed in with 
with what is uh, in error as well. And so you listen to it and you said, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, and so you have a tendency to believe some of those things. And so uh, very commonly, uh, it's easy for Baptists especially uh, to be sucked in some sort of a Bible study with people who are uh, from uh, different religions. And these Bible studies oftentimes are nothing more than just a pamphlet study of somebody's uh, doctrinal beliefs uh, that are contrary to Scripture. And so it sounds good. It's like that angel of light that looks good on the outside, but in, inwardly it winds up just being the devil incarnate. And so because of this deception, the second thing we see is oftentimes false teachers also uh, have deceived themselves. And so think about this. If you believe what, you, uh, what you're saying is true, and you're, essentially you're embracing your own eternal ruin for the sake of these lies, and so they're willing to destroy their own soul. So uh, at the same time, they've got the same problems that uh, a terrorist from, uh, from another country would have coming into America. Uh, it's the same type of uh, deception, the same type of secretive uh, that we've got to be able to say, okay, uh, let's pay attention to what's going on, on here. And so it's important for us in our nation uh, to fight against these ideological terrorists, but it's also important as Christians to fight against uh, this spiritual terrorism. This, these that would come in, they would distort the truth of God's Word, they would bring harm to our children uh, They would uh, by teaching them false doctrine. And listen, it's important for us to be able to say, listen, we believe the Bible, uh, and if it's not in the Bible, we don't, uh, that is, uh, you know, it's outside of what God's Word says. And then uh, Second John in verse number 10 says, don't even invite them into your house. Don't even invite them uh, God, Godspeed in their life. And so that's what Jude wanted to do. He said, listen, there's a great danger here in the church, and the danger is uh, that we can allow these things into our lives. Now, sometimes uh, it's very common for us uh, to, if I have a, a theological question, uh, I mean, I ask Google where I can go to dinner on a date night. Anybody else do that? I, I want to say, okay, I, I was looking for a new restaurant to take my wife one day, and I said, oh, I don't want to take her to a new Mexican food restaurant I've never been before. So typed in great Mexican food for, uh, uh, in Springfield, Missouri. And then I'll go to Google, and I'll try to find a new place to go, uh, to go see, or, or maybe I want to gather information about an upcoming event. I'll go to Google, I'll look for that. I want to look for a website. I go to Google. But listen, Google is a terrible pastor. It's a terrible pastor because what happens is these false teachers are on Google with their own blogs and oftentimes they're very popular. And so we go in there and say, uh, what, is, uh, what does the Bible teach uh, about angels? And, and you can have all kinds of gross uh, and error-filled doctrine just then uh, that is, yeah, begins to infiltrate your mind. And so let me just encourage you uh, to make sure you guard yourself, not just uh, you know when we're here, we want to make sure that truth is being proclaimed, but even in your own home, when you have a question about the Word of God, listen, the Bible teaches us that we have His Holy Spirit indwelling every believer, and guess what He is? He is our, thank you, He's our teacher. He's the one that can teach us and guide us into all truth. And so you know what I do? I get my Bible out. I get a concordance. If your Bible is like mine, maybe you have a concordance in your Bible. And I can just begin to look at what the Scripture says about fear, about angels, about uh, maybe depression, or, or maybe about marriage. And I'm looking through these different things. All of that's found in my Bible. God's Word speaks to those things. I don't need to know what Joe Blow says on his blog uh, at I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a crazyman.com. Okay, so that you like that, brother? 
Listen, so what do I want? I want to make sure I guard myself. I want to make sure that I can recognize uh, when someone is a heretic. And that's what Jude wanted to do here. So let's look at a couple of things here tonight, the characteristics of the apostate's nature. Verses 8 through 10, it begins to talk about some of these things that are in his life. And so there are some typically uh, apostates uh, exhibit ungodly uh, character traits. Uh, just like apostate Israelites did, just like the fallen angels did, just like the, the population of Sodom and Gomorrah. All of these had, a, uh, had certain characteristics. And the first one he mentions, look in verse number 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. And so he talks about these false dreams. The wicked behavior of these men often derives from their own dreaming. A term, this term that Jude uses here uh, is, uh, is, indicates a phony visionary. Uh, oftentimes, the New Testament, when, he, uh, when it deals with this, it uses a different Greek term. Uh, but here, Jude chooses a different verb, which is used only one other place in the New Testament, and that's Acts chapter 2 and verse number 17. And in this passage, we find Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And it says, And it, come, it shall come to pass... In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, this is a quote from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. During the tribulation, we're going to see uh, this uh, prophecies and revelations and visions that maybe that have ceased at this point uh, become uh, a way that God will speak through people once again. But listen, false teachers often claim uh, dreams as authoritative, like a divine source for their quote-unquote new truths. And so let me just want to encourage you uh, that, that if you hear someone say, well, listen, I had this dream, you might want to ask them what they had for dinner the, the night before. Uh, our Pastor Tolbert and I would often go to, uh, to visitation together, and when we were out on visitation, uh, we'd have Taco Bell or something like that, and he said, I'll let you know what my dream's going to be tomorrow. And inevitably, he would have some sort of a wild, crazy dream uh, that night after eating Taco Bell. So I always call these Taco Bell dreams. But listen, the dreaming includes this uh, apostate's perverted, evil imaginations. They reject the Word of God. They say, listen, my dream is, is more authoritative than God's Word instead of less authoritative. And so they base their deceptive teaching then on their own, uh, really, what I want to say, demonized minds. And so let me just say that the term dreamer in the Old Testament even usually was synonymous with a false prophet. And so Moses speaks of this in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. So Paul, though, also makes this warning here. He says in Colossians 2, verses 18 through 19, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary uh, uh, humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and holding not the head which from all uh, the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God." And so Paul gives this warning. He says, listen, watch out of these false dreamers. Watch out of these that puff themselves up. And Jude also makes that in uh, warning as well in just a moment. So first thing we see is these filthy dreamers. The second thing he mentions is this defiled the flesh, this immorality, if you will, letter B. 
So the flesh here refers to the physical body, and the word defile means to dye or stain something, such as uh, a clothing or glass. It can also mean to pollute, to contaminate soil or corrupt. So when you put these two terms together, what he's referring to is, uh, is moral and physical defilement or even a sexual sin. And so as, as Jude is dealing with this, what he's saying, listen, apostate teachers are inevitably immoral even if their immorality is not publicly known. And they can be high figureheads and hide this immorality. One example of that is Ravi Zechariah. And man, what a travesty that was to, to come out. Uh, but he hid all of that in the closet. All we saw was the, the, the public man. But all of that was hidden in the closet. Listen, it is, they're able to hide these things. And so it's so important, as uh, Paul warned uh, to Timothy, he says, don't lift up someone who hasn't been tested. Don't exalt one that hasn't been uh, that you haven't had a chance to be able to examine their life. And what he says, Jude is warning us. He says, "Listen, they have no ability to restrain the flesh, their lusts, because they have no spirit within them." First Thessalonians four five says, "Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God." Paul was warning this church in Thessalonica, said, listen, God's called you to walk a certain way, not to walk like the Gentiles walk who don't know the Lord, who don't have the Spirit of God living in them. He said, you've been called to walk differently. He says, and one of that example is a life of immorality. Look in in verse number 8 again. The next phrase he uses is despise dominion. This is, another word for this is insubordination, letter C. Since apostates, uh, especially apostate teachers, love their immorality, they, uh, then the natural conclusion would be that they reject any kind of authority. Uh, and, and authority is important uh, in, in our life. I recognize that we have authority of God. He is our ultimate authority. We have, uh, as a child, my authority was my, my father. My authority was uh, also my pastor in my church. And so I recognize that these are authorities that God had put up in my, in my life. I have authority when I work underneath someone. That I have a, a boss that I must give an account to. And, and you know, when I, as a pastor, I get the privilege of standing before the Lord one day, and I've got to give an account for everything we do here. And that, and that is an intimidating, intimidating, humbling moment. And so you think, well, you've, uh, you don't have any authority. Yeah, I've got, I've got major authority. One day, uh, when I stand before the Lord, He's going to say, listen, everything that went on here in the lives of people, He said, you're going to give account to that. So we all have some sort of authority. But see, the apostate teachers, they said, listen, we don't want any authority. They even were willing to turn away from the authority of God in their life. They wanted to set themselves up as God. Remember in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 14, the sin of Lucifer, the sin of Satan, was that he wanted himself to be God. So the danger is, is that when I become full of self, that, that pride, prideful uh, ambition uh, that dwells in the heart of every single one of us, and when I give way to that, uh, and I don't let the Spirit of God lead and direct, then what I am succumbing to is the same spirit uh, that drove Lucifer. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 28, Christ kind of makes a, a, a good um, uh, just connection here between these apostates and the Pharisees. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. 
For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Jude was saying, listen, apostate teachers are just like this. Right, let's look at the remainder of this verse here. He speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring any uh, against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. And so we see here then in their life also an irreverence. The unusual phrase here, this, this thought, speak evil of dignities, means to speak uh, profanely of sacred matters, ex- especially and in including God Himself. And so these teachers were not just irreverent in some mild sense, but they were blasphemers against God as well. And so the parallel verse to this in Second Peter is Second Peter 2.10, but chiefly them at, that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. You see, throughout redemptive history, holy angels who are devoted to God's glory have had, had a special role in uh, really helping uh, to, uh, to do God's bidding. They are messengers of the Lord. They do His work. They do His will. And so God gave them the ministry of helping to communicate His law in the Old Testament. We also see the holy angels were and to be involved in the ultimate judgment of the wicked in Jude verses 14 and 15. But, uh, but we also see in the apostate's life that their immorality, their insubordination, they not only uh, blaspheme the angels, but they blaspheme God Himself. And what Jude was saying, listen, they're willing to speak, uh, speak about things uh, that they don't have anything, any idea about at all. And so what Jude did was he was uh, trying to illustrate here the seriousness of their irreverence by contrasting their behavior with that of Michael the archangel. Now, uh, here in verse number 9, he brings up Michael the archangel. He says, when contending with the, uh, with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses. As God's most powerful angel, what we have here is that he argued about the body of Moses. And if you remember in the Old Testament uh, that uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord uh, buried Moses, the Lord took care of him there at the end of his life. It wasn't the Israelites, it wasn't Joshua, it wasn't anyone else. Uh, the Bible just simply says they went up onto the mountain uh, and there, uh, there he died. And so God took care of that body. And so Michael didn't, didn't try to... Uh, and just let me back up in this too... Uh, Satan uh, was created as Lucifer, and as Lucifer was the highest, uh, most powerful created being. So Michael didn't dare pronounce an accusation against him, uh, but instead what he, he did was says, the Lord rebuke thee. He, he used the power of God, not his own power. And that's a, a great reminder for our own lives. Listen, we can't do things in our own ability. Uh, that's why Paul wrote later in Philippians chapter 4, he says, uh, 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 Philippians 4.13, uh, through Christ we can all do, do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
And so he said, listen, it's not in my own power. It's not in my own ability. Listen, I can't I can have a healthy marriage without, uh, my, uh, without the Lord's help. I can't uh, be a good parent without the Lord's help. I can't stand uh, for truth without God's help. Uh, you see, it's all about trusting and resting in the Lord. And Jude was saying, listen, you're trying to stand and speak about things uh, and pretend that you're strong, but the reality is, is that uh, you're vain and weak, and, and you will find one day, as you stand before the Lord, uh, the hypocrisy that is there. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 2, we see Michael's response here anticipated the example uh, of the angel of the Lord. He says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? And so in this vision of Zechariah, Joshua the high priest, who along with Zerubbabel led the first group of uh, the Jews back from the Babylonian captivity, they were standing in between, uh, standing in heaven before the angel of the Lord, and the devil was also there at the right hand of, uh, of Joshua, accusing Joshua and the nation of Israel whom he represented. And so Satan's argument was based on Israel's sinfulness, and that God should break his covenant promises. But in response, what we find is the angel of the Lord, who was the pre-incarnate Christ, defended Israel by deferring to God the Father and asking Him to rebuke Satan. Jude goes back to this, and he reminds us of this, and he says, listen, even in this, he said, they, they speak about things they can't understand, they're uh, trying to, uh, to, to do things that, that really uh, that, that, uh, they have no business even dealing with. And so... To make a long story short, as we come to this point, what we see is, as, as he is dealing with this, they are irreverent in that they have no idea of the power of God, the weakness of their self, and they're puffed up in their own vain imaginations. And so as Jude wrote these, uh, about these men... He was writing them, he says, listen, their behavior uh, evidenced some incredible ignorance. Uh, their, their behavior was, uh, was something that was operating out of their own lusts, their own desires. They didn't soundly interpret the truth uh, of special revelation. And no matter how highly educated they might have been, no matter what degrees hang on, hung on their wall, or how philosophical they might have thought their teaching was, it says they were only uh, apostates. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 22, it says, They were professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In the end, Jude says they are destroyed by means of their own lying. And so when we look at this, he says, listen, let me paint a picture for you. This is their nature. This is what goes on in their life. This is what goes on in their heart. It says, and if you look at it, it is all focused on self. Now, Starting in verse number 11, Jude begins to make some correlations to some past apostates. And there's three here that he mentions. If you remember uh, George Santa Anna, who was an American poet, a philosopher, and a liter literary critic, he said this, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And so Jude brings up some things from the past. And he goes back to those pasts, and he uses this crucial importance of learning from history. Listen, it is so important that our children know the history of the real history of our nation today. 
It's important they know the, the, what Christmas is really all about. And we should never make an assumption that our children know uh, why we celebrate Christmas. But tell that story over again in your home. Read Luke 2 again and again and again until your children can quote it from memory. Man, it is so vital that our children are taught at the hands of their, uh, of their parents. Let me just tell you, children are in heritage of the Lord. They're your blessing. They're your gift. And He has entrusted you for a specific purpose and a time as this. So uh, that was for free. But Jude, he brings up three different examples here. The first one is Cain. Now, if we go back in the Old Testament to Cain, and we're not going to go to uh, there, but you can go to uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, and you can read the story of Cain and Abel. And he begins this passage, and he says, Woe unto them! And Jude followed this example of Christ and the prophets when he pronounced this, this spiritual judgment. And when he did so, this word woe, he says, Alas, how horrible this is going to be! He says, Wake up! He says, don't, 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 uh, don't continue in this same path, same path because this is not going to be a good thing for you. And so he uses these three illustrations in verse number 11. He says, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, let's think about Cain for a moment. Cain was that, uh, that very, uh, was the model of one who had departed from God's truth. He was the first child of Adam and Eve, uh, and he was born uh, after the fall in Genesis chapter 4. And the fact that Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable, uh, what we find is that Cain became angry with God. God required a blood sacrifice. Cain brought vegetables uh, instead. But instead of obeying uh, what the Lord wanted, he wanted to do his own thing. And so his sacrifice was not uh, worthy, uh, and so God refused it. And so instead of uh, repenting, instead of getting things right with the Lord, we see that he operated by his own self-styled instinct and his pride and what he uh, desired there. And so uh, what we see is the Jude then is bringing out the similarities in that same prideful attitude in, uh, in Cain. He's bringing it out in light of the apostates too. He says, listen, just like these, old, uh, these apostates, uh, uh, just like Cain, excuse me, was self-willed, just like Cain wanted to go its own way, just like he was proud, the apostates are the same way. So Cain was religious, but he was disobedient. The apostates are religious, they look good, whited sepulcher on the outside, but they're disobedient. And when God didn't accept the offering of Cain, he responded in, in anger and murdered his brother Abel. The writer of Hebrews mentions this about this episode in Hebrews 11 and verse number 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and, and by it, uh, he being dead, yet speaketh. And so, just to, just so we see that very first example there. Cain had a proud, uh, even a disobedient, rebellious heart against the Lord. The second thing we see, and the second illustration, is that of Balaam. He says, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Okay, so here, now Jude begins to unmask the, the fundamental motive behind the religious interests of false teachers. Money. And it did so for pay. And, and if you follow this, there was someone once said, uh, and I don't remember where I heard it, but uh, someone said, listen, if you want to you get rich, uh, uh, start a religion. Listen, 
Unlike God's true shepherds, these ministry mercenaries, they follow uh, in the error of Balaam. They said, listen, they're going to rush, they rush headlong into envy and greed. Uh, they want nothing but uh, personal gain. Recently, I was reading one of our missionary letters, and because we're live streaming, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's one of our missionaries to China. And as I was reading through his letter, his mom had passed away in the letter. And in that letter, he mentioned his mom and dad were Buddhist, and so he had gone, uh, the father had gone to the Buddhist temple and asked the Buddhist priest to do a ceremony for the mother. Well, the Buddhist priest, being a false, uh, a false teacher, uh, again went back to the old god of money. And he said, listen, uh, we'll do it if you pay us such and such amount of money. He didn't state in the letter how much. Uh, and so the father became mad and irate. Even as a lost man, he recognized that, uh, that, that selfish desire. And instead, he had a local pastor do the funeral for the mom. Praise God. Amen. I said, man, that's a great thing. Uh, you know, but it was an illustration in my mind of exactly what Jude was talking about here. If you go back in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 22 through 24 in your Bible, what you find is there's the story of Balaam. Now, it is not a story that many people are familiar with today, uh, but what happens in Balaam is there is a, the, the king of Moab is Balak. And Balak hired Balaam uh, to curse Israel. And so he said, listen, if you will come and curse Israel, he said, then I, I, will, uh, I will pay you so much money. And so Balaam, he went to the Lord and he asked the Lord if he could uh, curse uh, Israel. The Lord said no. And so he went and said, sorry, the Lord forbid it. And he said, well, uh, he, said, well he says, I really want you to curse him. I've, I've learned that if you don't curse, then, uh, then, uh, you know, then nothing... Uh, then they can't be defeated. And so he went back to the Lord and set up some tabernacles. Long story short, he wound up going with him, and God used uh, a talking donkey and an angel standing in the way to keep from uh, Balaam from being uh, destroyed that day. But listen, it was all selfish motive. He, was, he had this desire to gain at the hand of Balak. And, and uh, as Jude was making this correlation, he says, listen, these apostate teachers, they want that monetary gain more than anything else. Listen, we've got to be careful uh, that uh, we don't have uh, that selfish, motivated desire uh, it, when we uh, listen to those. And there are a lot of uh, seemingly good, uh, good men, but, and maybe they sound good to itching ears, but if you look on the underlying thing, they need $95 million for a brand new jet. There's something wrong with that picture. Third example here, Korah. Uh, in the New Testament, it's Corey. Uh, but Korah, in new, Numbers chapter 16, this is the next story that he uh, pulls out of the past. And it presents the story of Korah, who was a cousin of Moses in the Old Testament. He was a Levite, he was a Kohathite, and Korah had significant duties in the tabernacle. But he was not chosen to be a priest. And so because of that, he became very angry and irate. And he began to show his contempt. And Korah enlisted Dathan and Abiram and as well as 250 other men, and they joined together in a rebellion against Moses' leadership. Numbers chapter 16 records this uh, indictment against Moses in verse number 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. 
So what we find is Korah, in his pride, disputed the idea that people needed a leader uh, and a mediator, someone who could speak to God for them. And so what he really wanted, he wanted the same position as Moses. Again, it reminds me a lot of Lucifer. It reminds me a lot uh, of some other examples we've seen already. And so God responded then by terminating the rebellion permanently. Amen? Number 16, verses 32 to 35 records this. And the Lord uh, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained to Korah and all their goods. And so we see that the Lord uh, swallowed them up in a pit. Now the consequences of the rebellion, though, extended beyond the families of Korah. Even Dathan and Abiram and the 250 men. In the aftermath of that, what we find is the hearts of the children of Israel began to uh, grow uh, angry and disgruntled against God and against Moses. And as a result, God sent a plague that killed an additional 14,700 Israelites. Listen, it was all because of Korah's influence. Many of today's false teachers also have significant followings, don't they? And they have people who share their judgment. And, and, and one day, when they stand before the Lord, uh, they will be judged according to those things. Now, Jude finishes this section with comparisons with five natural phenomena. And there's five things that he mentions here in this last uh, two verses, verses 12 and 13. Let's look at these together. These are spots in your Feast of Charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear... Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In many of the Lord's parables, we find that Jesus used natural phenomena as well. Uh, for example, the parable of the soils. Uh, there was the parable of the wheat and the tares. There was the parable of the fig trees, even the lost sheep. All of these can be kind of natural phenomena as, as we look at that. And so uh, even the Psalms also contain some rich allusions uh, and, and illustrations from creation. And so Jude uses that same pattern once again. And the very first thing is he says, these are spots in your feasts of charity. Now, uh, this word spots gives us the title for letter A, hidden reefs, because a spot refers to a submerged ridge of rock or coral near the surface of water. And so it can also be like a sandbar. It's a, in other words, it's something that you don't see on the surface of the water, uh, but that word spot in the Greek actually means uh, a submerged rock in, in that. And so they, what uh, this, uh, this refers to is an unseen danger that they pose. And so, as we look at this, we see uh, that Judas is trying to warn us that, listen, these apostates, they pose a danger. Maybe they look good on the surface, but they pose a their very dangerous situation. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, just like a ship, if it's sailing into uh, a cove, uh, especially before the days of radar and sonar and all of these other R's, uh, they would oftentimes they would uh, be very cautious and, uh, cautious and careful in unknown areas because they didn't want to rip the bottom of the hole out of their ship because the ship would sink all on these rocks. And so as he goes on, he says, listen, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you. Now charity, uh, what we see is in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, there was some very common for them to have uh, what would be like the old-time potluck dinners, if we could call it that. It says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with readiness of minds. They searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. 
I, I apologize. I'm not sure if that's the right reference I was looking for. But oftentimes they would have these, these times where they would get together for instruction. They would sometimes have encouragement. They would have even times of maybe uh, where they would care for one another. Uh, and so, and, and at, at those times it would, they would have food together. They would have what they would call a love feast, if you will. And so they would have an opportunity to be able to, uh, similar to we do what we do when we have a potluck dinner. We would gather for worship, we would hear teachings, we would, uh, uh, and have a common meal together as a church family. And it's sweet to be able to catch up together. The other night when we had our, uh, our Thanksgiving dinner, it was a joy to watch people interact together and to have some, uh, just some good time together as a church family. Well, these things eventually became uh, corrupted and abused in the church because of the false teachers. Uh, and so as they came into the scene, what we see is they would begin to speak lies and hypocrisy. They would stir up trouble. And so Paul t- wrote to Timothy regarding these, and he says in 1 Timothy 4.2 that they speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Listen, their actions do terrible damage, uh, and, and uh, these apostates didn't care who they hurt. And a matter of fact, it says uh, uh, in verse number 12, uh, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. They didn't care one way or the other. In other words, these apostates, they shepherded no one but themselves. Their only interest was their own self-gratification. The second correlation he makes here is not just these uh, hidden dangers or hidden reefs, but also waterless clouds. Here he says, clouds they are without water. In a normal weather cycle, clouds regularly produce uh, the anticipation of rain. We see uh, clouds building uh, in the west here in Springfield. Uh, we look over here in the west and we look and we say, oh, those look like a good thunderhead. We're going to get a good rain. Praise the Lord. We need that rain. And so, uh, But if those clouds roll through, especially during a drought and there is no water, there's disappointment, isn't there? And there's a a great disappointment. As a matter of fact, uh, they are clouds that never really deliver. The uh, The book of Proverbs says this, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. You see, apostate teachers promise to bring true spiritual blessing. They promise to bring a refreshment from God, but they don't do anything to deliver on that promise. We could also call them politicians today. Sorry. Pretty disingenuous and pretty disappointed in some of our current politicians at the moment. Sorry. But listen, Jude likened them to the clouds that carried this promise of rain, but they delivered absolutely nothing. And so Jude uses this term that is also uh, to be able to say, listen, uh, they look good, but there's nothing real tangible about them. The next thing uh, further illustrates on on that as he talks about this fruitless tree. And uh, he says, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Autumn is the season in which farmers and gardeners expect to harvest the crops. They oftentimes will get your final crops in, your apples are ripe, your things are ready, but when, if nothing comes or if it's, uh, if it's shriveled like it was in my garden this year because it, there was just not enough rain and everything died on the vine, it's a very disappointing garden. Now, for me, that's no big deal. I go to Price Cutter. I, we will stock up the pantry that way. 
But during this age, there was no price cutter. There was no Walmart, believe it or not. And so they didn't know what to You know, they had nothing there for their family without this, uh, the fruit that they were counting on every year. And so they would have to start all over again the next spring with hopes that they would get something, fertilizing, planting, watering, waiting for that next crop to mature. And with this in mind, this phrase, trees whose fruit withereth, brings to mind this disappointing reality of a barren harvest. Man, it was, it was disappointing to walk out and, and look at all those rows of beans that I had planted and to see these little bitty shriveled up little things on the vines. Man, I was, I was never more disappointed by my uh, green... And I love fresh green beans. Aren't they good? Right off the vine, boy, there's just something fresh about that and something wonderful. But listen, Jude says, you know, just, uh, that disappointment is what these apostates bring. They're fruitless. Now, the Bible says in John chapter 15, I am the vine, ye are the branch. And, and we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Him. See, they don't bear fruit because they're not abiding in Christ. He says, listen, they've got, their lives are a barren harvest. And, and so they are doubly dead. They're fruitless because there's no life in them. And they're secondly, they're dead because they've been uprooted. They're like tri- trees have come out of the ground. They're dead. They're disconnected from the life-giving source. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 13, but He answered and said, Every plant which my, Father, uh, which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Jude deals with this and he says, listen, their life has no fruit. There's nothing real about them. He says, and their life is full of danger. Watch out for these folks. Fourthly, we see wild sea waves, or as we go on, raging waves of the sea in verse number 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their shame. That's how he describes this next picture here. Scripture often uses the sea as a symbol of those who do not know God. For example, Isaiah 57, verses 20 through 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So in the aftermath of a storm, if you go to, uh, we've been to uh, the shore a couple of times, and uh, in my life, I, my mom used to love to go to Galveston Island, and we'd go down there for uh, some vacations or whatever. I never understood what she saw in the place. It's kind of a dirty shore if you've ever been there. And, uh, and you get down on the water, and oftentimes there's tar on the side from where they're, uh, they're drilling out in the, out in the Gulf. And, and I always call it the armpit of the Gulf of Mexico. It's just, and everything gross that, that that conjures up in your mind is, my mind is what Galveston Island was about. But my mom loved to go. So we'd go down there, and inevitably, what had washed up on the shore overnight was tons and tons of garbage from the sea. Uh, and sometimes that seaweed, sometimes one time there was jellyfish. I mean, jellyfish were everywhere on the seashore. You couldn't hardly get onto the shore without getting stung by one of them. It was just, a, it was, I, I just, I never understood it. I said, just take me to the mountains, mom. I'd rather go there. Uh, I don't have something trying to eat me in the water. Amen. 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 <laughs> I got one supporter. <laughs> you say, listen, you're supposed to sit on the beach and read a good book. I said, I was too busy for that. But listen, what happens is he's, he's pointing to this and says, listen, their life is a lot like that. All that raging foam, that raging sea, that this graphic picture is what false teachers produce, that garbage that just empties up on the side of the sea with all their empty talk, with all their self-serving activity. They're like wild waves. In the end, they're casting up only their own shame like a foam. And so what we see in their life 
is heresy and deception and immorality, irreverence and insubordination as we talked about earlier. Finally, Jude mentions one last phenomenon and that's the wandering stars. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, we think about stars in heaven, and oftentimes we think about maybe the North Star or something that's fixed point, you know. But Jude mentions wandering stars. It doesn't refer to a heavenly body that continuously shines and has a fixed orbit. What he's probably referring here is meteors or shooting stars that would flash through the sky in just a moment, in an uncontrolled moment of brilliant light, and it disappears Apostates are often just like that. They flash through the sky for a short time on the stage of Christianity. And maybe they build up and, and drum up a following, especially in today's world of uh, Twitter fanatics and all kinds of other social media uh, nonsense. And, and listen, they have this promise of enduring spiritual light and direction, but in the end they never really deliver. It's a aimless, worthless flash of light. And he says, These, uh, the utter blackness and darkness of hell has been reserved forever for them. You see, false teachers are hypocritical. They're deceivers. They're immoral uh, sinners. They're materialistic. They're they, uh, pleasure seekers or hedonists. And as a result, they are spiritual terrorists. They misrepresent the truth about the gospel of Christ. They twist the, uh, the teachings of Scripture to, to match their own agenda but all that stands in stark contrast to Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, the one who, sent, who opens His arms and says, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The one who laid down His life and He was able to testify, It is finished. It's paid for. It's done. The price has been paid. There's nothing more due. You see, and when, when, when Christ is the Good Shepherd and the True Shepherd, He's the one that stands there with arms open wide for any and all who will come to Him by faith. You see, these apostates are in stark contrast to Jesus. They're in stark contrast to a true shepherd who cares and loves his sheep. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's our Jesus today. That's our Lord that we still worship. False teachers choose the way of Cain over Christ. They choose the error of Balaam over the truth of Jesus and the death of Korah over the life of Christ. You know, if we will follow the Lord, if we'll say, Lord, I'm going to put you first in my life. Lord, I want to make your word the most important thing. And, and maybe we're coming at the end of the year and we, we put forth a challenge to memorize Ephesians 6 as a church and maybe you're working on it. Lord, I just want to encourage you, apply yourselves to know God's word. Let's apply ourselves to be students of the word, and to be willing to say, Lord, I want to, I want to give you the very best, my, honor you with my life by being strong in my faith for Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions, or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today.
what would your answer be?